We are starting a brand new series today, which means today is going to lay the groundwork for a lot of what we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks. Uh, but uh, we're starting this new series called Sent on Purpose. Um, we're going to be talking about three main things throughout our discussion, and it's going to be your purpose, your calling, and your sending. Your purpose, your calling, and your sending. Right, because each of us have been designed by God for a purpose. Right, otherwise we would have never been born. He would have never had your biological parents meet. He would have never had their biological parents meet for you to be here. Right, there was a lot of planning that happened that God did behind the scenes to make sure that you were designed and created for today. So you have a purpose, but because you have a purpose, you also have a calling. Right, your purpose is different than your calling. Now, I, I know in our world and, and even around here, like we'll, we'll mix up the two and we'll say, well, your purpose is your calling. We all have the same similar type of purpose as Christians, as followers of Christ, but that purpose leads to your calling. It leads to what you're called to do with that purpose, right? Because we're, we're all our purpose, and, and this is kind of giving away some of my message, but some of your purpose is just simply to worship and enjoy God. It's just to simply worship and enjoy God, to be with him, to spend time with him. But what you do with that purpose becomes your calling. So like for me, for instance, and we'll talk about this more as we uh, go through this message, is my purpose to worship God, to serve God, to follow God, to, you know, everything that leads me closer to God, that's my purpose. My purpose is to give God glory. Now, how do I do that? I preach. I pastor. Sometimes I sing with my mom. Sometimes I sing by myself, right? My calling is different than my purpose. My calling is how I live out my purpose. And then that goes to the sending because if you have a purpose and you have a calling, which you all do, then God is at some point is going to send you. For me, it was at uh, 16 years old when I was actually sent to, be, to start working towards being a pastor. But how we're going to explore these three things, it's not going to be necessarily in order. It might be all of them. It might be some of them throughout the series. But how we're going to explore them is by looking at some of the calling stories from, from the greatest people of faith in the Bible. And today we're starting with one of the most well-known people in the Old Testament, Moses. So we're going to look at Moses' calling story. And he was called in Exodus chapter 3. So if you got your Bibles handy... We're going to be reading verses 1 through 10. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he had led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames from fire within the bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. So Moses thought, well, I'll go over there and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed 
seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, for your word, for this moment that we're able to spend in your house together as followers of you. Lord, I pray that throughout this message, you just speak straight directly into their hearts. Lord, you know how this has made me reflect on a lot of things in my life and my calling story. And Lord, I I pray that for the ones who are living out their call, that they have a moment to reflect and to see that there are some things that were much more obvious to us now than they were then, that you have called us for a great, uh, a great thing that you want to do through us. And Lord, for those who who don't know what they're called to, they know their purpose, but they don't know what they're called to, that throughout today and throughout the rest of the series that will take us through the rest of summer, that you you just speak to them and call them into something and send them to go and live out their purpose, to live out their calling, and to be sent. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I know for some of you, and this isn't meant to be a joke, but you're going to laugh anyways. For some of you, it's been longer than others. When you were in school, thank you. I I got one laugh out of that. Um, When you were in school, did you ever get called to the the main office or the principal's office? None of you. That's awesome. I did. I got called there, not all the time, but I got called there some. Now, most of the time, it was, it was for good things, right? I was a good kid, but there was one time that I was actually called to the principal's office for something bad. Now, I will always defend this. I did nothing wrong. I just happened to be in the same place of another group of people that were doing things that were wrong. So it was wrong place, wrong time, guilty by association. But... Real quick, not that I really have to tell you this story, but I'm going to anyways, just so you know that I'm still a good kid. So we um, we were having like an award ceremony, and I was sitting with all my friends. All of my friends were talking. You guys know me well. I don't talk. Even in groups, I really don't talk that much. So I'm sitting there. I'm in the middle of all of them. They're having conversations across from me. Like I'm in the middle. They're all surrounding me. They're all talking. They're being loud, and I'm just watching, and... Then the principal kind of walks over, and he stands over there, and he's looking at us. I don't see him. I'm paying attention to, to the award ceremony. Still talking, and he, he walks up the bleachers, and he says, all of you in my office right after the ceremony. Tears pouring down my face. I'm like, I don't know what I did wrong. What? And, and I went in. I apologized. I gave the most heartfelt apology out of all of them. And I didn't even do anything wrong. But there, there's always this feeling of, 
when you got called to the office, even if you knew it was just your mom picking you up or if it was for something good, because we got called to the office for breakfast with the principal if we had like all good grades in elementary school. And so you'd be called, but still you had that deep anxiety, or at least I did. What if I did something wrong, right? What if I'm, what if this is actually bad? What if it's not good? And it didn't matter if it was in elementary school all the way up to high school. When you heard that someone was to report to the main office by the intercom or by the office secretary walking into those doors and saying, Logan Hensley, I need to see you for a minute or whoever it is, I got to see you for a minute. There was the overwhelming atmosphere of, ooh, sometimes it'd be like audible. Ooh, you're in trouble. If it wasn't you, did you or did you not have the feeling of, man, I'm glad that wasn't me. <laughs> I'm glad that I'm not the one that was being called out of the room. Isn't that how we treat the, gallant, the calling that God has for us in our life sometimes? We, we think that we're being called to the principal's office, that we're, when we're called, we're like, ah, I don't really know. I, I'm kind of hoping that he calls on something, someone else. Or maybe if I hide behind someone, they won't see that I'm here. They'll think that I'm sick. And and they won't call me into the office, right? It's like when God calls us, we have some level of fear and anxiety. Maybe we even make up excuses for why we can't do that, why we can't live out that calling. We pretend like we don't hear him. And sometimes we honestly just think that we're not good enough to be called. Hopefully this whole series helps redeem parts of that in you so that you know your calling is good. It may be tough, but it's good because it's from God. So when we face that, I think sometimes we just don't know what is going to happen. We know that there's going to be a valley. We just don't know what valley. And we don't know if that valley is going to be worth it. I can tell you that it will be. But we don't know if that valley is going to be worth it. Now, I can't promise you that it's not going to cost you anything. Because if it's from God and we're sinful people, it's going to cost us everything to follow out and live out the calling that God has for us. But God will be with you. He'll supply all the strength. He'll show you how to make time for it. If that's your uh, uh, excuse, you know, I don't have time for it. He'll, he'll show you how to make time. If you're like, well, well, I just don't have the energy for it. He'll give you the strength. Well, I don't have the mentality for it. He'll give you the mentality. He will supply everything that you need. He'll take care of you on the mountaintops. He'll take care of you on the valleys. So as we look at Moses, if you're familiar with the story, you know that Moses makes a lot of excuses. He tries to get out of this calling. If you're not familiar with it, I'm going to remind you anyways, give you a little bit of summary of what's happening. In Exodus 3, we have the story of Moses encountering the burning bush. It's probably like a Sunday school favorite to talk about. But Moses is leading uh, a flock of sheep that was owned by his father-in-law. And he makes it to this mountain called Horeb. Now, the other side of this same mountain was called Mount Sinai. So when you see Mount Sinai, it's just the other side of this mountain. Why they gave this mountain two names, I have no idea. But Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb, they are the same mountain. But he comes to this mountain and... It was described and believed that this mountain was the mountain of God. This is where God resided. He resided in this mountain.
But it wasn't just this mountain. Most mountains in the Old Testament represent God's presence. And that's why you see so many people climbing up mountains to encounter God. This is why Moses would later climb up a mountainside to get and receive the Ten Commandments, to receive instruction for the people of Israel. It's because it's a, ve it's a very powerful image of just being simply closer to the heavens. Right? There's, a, there's an old saying that I heard old church ladies used to use, the higher the hair, the closer to God. So, you know, the higher that they could get their hair to stand, the closer that they were to God. And it's just this simple illustration of we as people, we're trying to reach towards God. So we are willing to climb mountains to encounter God. Now, I will say this before you, before you get all of your gear to go mountain climbing this weekend um, or this coming week. You don't have to. You don't have to climb mountains anymore. They did that's where God has got, they had to walk up mountains to encounter God. And then, uh, then it became the temple. The temple became the mountain. That was where God resided. But now God resides in you and me. Because now that we've lived, now that we're living after Jesus' death and resurrection, we've been given the Holy Spirit, which gives us direct access to God wherever we go. So we can be in the deepest parts of the ocean. We can be on the highest mountaintop there is and everywhere in between, and God is still with us. So you have access to this. Moses didn't. Moses had to climb the mountain. But he's leading this flock, and he sees a, a bush burning, uh, or not burning up, but it's just engulfed in flames. It's not being consumed. It's not being burned, but it's up in flames. And Moses, like most of us, if we saw a fire pit, and we looked, if, you're, if you have a fire pit, you can see when it's burning up. You can see when the wood, because it starts to turn black and then it starts to turn to ash. This wasn't happening to the bush. So like any of us, we would be curious if we didn't know the story. Be like, well, how does that work? How does it still have green leaves? How are the branches still brown? How, how is it doing this? So he walks up and he sees this bush engulfed with flames. And then he hears a voice saying, Moses, Moses, with exclamation marks. That's how the Bible has it, exclamation marks. And Moses just simply says, here I am. Now, if that was me and I didn't know this story, I don't think I would have reacted the same way. If I am alone in the wilderness with a bunch of sheep and I'm walking those sheep in the wilderness and I come to a mountain and I see a bush, I would honestly want to go up there and see it, right? I'm curious, but I would go up there and see it. And from the bush, I hear, Logan, Logan. Someone put some water on that thing. <laughs> this is, what did I drink in that spring when I was walking here, right? Looking at the sheep, was that you? <laughs> Who called out to me? I would not be saying, here I am. I'm right here. Here I am. But that's what Moses does. He doesn't seem phased by the fact that someone's calling out to him. He's, here I am. I'm right here. God says, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses, upon hearing this, hides his face 
because he was afraid to look at God. Now, we can honestly look at that and say, well, well why would he feel shame in that, right? Why would he, why would he look away? Well, it's, it's not that like that. And here he's showing reverence to God. He, he's showing respect and fear of the Lord, a good type of fear of the Lord, to where he knows that he's not worthy to look upon the face of God. So he turns away. So don't think ill of, of Moses for doing this. This is a natural thing. When you don't feel worthy, you don't look. And in the presence of God, you don't look because he reveals how unworthy you really are. So I, I say that to point out that Moses really just feared the Lord. This is what this passage is saying. Moses feared the Lord. And if he were living today and this part of his story was unfolding, we would all call him like a good, solid Christian man. He has a good, solid foundation. He's a pastor, or, or his father-in-law is a pastor. He's a priest, but we'd call him a pastor. And, and he's a good Christian man. He, he loves his home. He loves his life. He loves his wife. He loves um, everything. And, and he's working hard to make sure that his wife and his father-in-law are taken care of. But when he's called by God to go, to Egypt to go straight up to Pharaoh, look Pharaoh in the face and say, I'm taking my people back home. Uh, I'm, I'm going to take all of the Israelites, all of your workforce, right? They were slaves, but they were the entire workforce for the entire Egyptian society. He says, I'm going to take your entire workforce and we're going to leave. And you're just going to have to be okay with it because the Lord, our God, said so. And that's what, that's what God calls him to. Now, naturally, Moses has some concerns. How am I going to walk up to Pharaoh and tell him that and everything be okay? So then Moses replies, after hearing his calling, Moses says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? What I love about this, and this is just the way that the story unfolds, how it was written, but Moses, if you notice, went from here I am to wait, who am I? It was here I am, I'm ready, I'm ready. God says, this is what you're gonna do. You're gonna go and you're gonna deliver the peop my people out of Egypt. Well, who, who am I to do that? It's like he takes a step back, who am I? Right? I, I'm not, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. And God says, it doesn't matter who you are. Why? I will be with you. I've chosen you and I will be with you. And this will be the sign. By the grace of God, he also gives a sign. He gives a sign of hope. This is what this is. It's kind of confusing, but he gives a sign of hope. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, not if, when. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. This is the sign of hope that God gave Moses, saying, you might not know who you are, but I know who you are. I designed you. I created you. I've called you to this. You're living out your purpose. You're going to live out your call. And now I'm sending you. You may not think that you're important and you might not really be important in the grand scheme of things, but I am with you as God. All right? So then Moses keeps on going. He says, suppose I actually go to these Israelites and I say, this is the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell him? And God says, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And Moses says, well, what if they don't believe me? 
What, what if they don't listen to me? What if they say things like, the Lord didn't really appear to you, that, you know, you're, you're a false prophet. What if they say these things? And then God proceeds to show him three different signs that he can use to convince the people of Israel that God sent him. The staff that he's been walking with for miles in the wilderness to get to the mountain. He says, you see that staff right there? Throw it down, it'll turn into a snake. So he throws it down, it turns into a snake. And he says, now grab it by the tail and it turn right back into a staff. He grabs it, turns right back into a staff. I don't know anyone that can do that. Do you? Like, do you, do you know someone? You don't know anyone? I, I don't know anyone that can do that either. So then he says, that will convince them. But if it doesn't, here's a second one. You're going to take your hand. You're going to put it in your cloak. And when you take it back out, you're going to have leprosy on your hand. And you're going to take it out. And he, he did. He put it in. He took it out. And his uh, whole hand was leprous. And he said, now put it back in your cloak and take it back out and you'll be healed. So he, he puts it back in, takes it out, and it's clean. He's like, that will convince them too. But if they're not convinced by the first one, turning a staff into a snake and then a snake back into the staff, if they're not convinced that, that I can make something unclean and clean again with your hand going in, being leprous, and then being healed, here's the last thing that you can do, and this will convince them. You'll take some of the water from the Nile River, and when you take it up, you'll pour it out, and it will turn into blood. God says, these are your signs. So then Moses has likely seen all of these things happen right before his eyes. And he says, pardon your servant, Lord. I get it. I'm convinced that this is you. I'm convinced that this is your calling for me. But I think you made a mistake. I'm not eloquent of speech. Neither in the past nor since I've been talking to you, I'm slow of speech and tongue. Meaning, I, I, I can't put words together. Uh, I'm stage right. I'm not good at making these good long sermons. I, I can't do that. And the Lord says to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, Lord? You see, when we're called, we often think that we're not equipped because oftentimes we're not equipped. We, we walk into this, we hear this calling and I can tell you from my experience, and we'll get to that in a second too, but I did not feel like I was going to be a pastor. I did not think that I would ever have the ability to preach because I was always so quiet. I was never outspoken. Still aren't really, but I'm getting better at it. But I was never outspoken. And so I didn't feel like I was equipped. But, you know, thank the Lord as the saying goes, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Meaning that when he calls you, then he will equip you. But he wants you to say yes first. So what God is saying is, did I not create you? Whenever he's calling you, he's like, did I not create you? Did I not knit you together in your mother's womb? Did I not purposely make you talented at some things and horrible at other things? Did I not intentionally bind you together chromosome by chromosome? Cell by cell. And if I did that, who are you to say that I don't know what you can do, what you're supposed to do, what you're called to? 
if I create, if God created you, he knows exactly what you're capable of. And he wants to call you for a specific purpose and a specific calling because he knows you better than you know yourself. And upon hearing this, Moses says once again, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Don't send me. Send someone else. And I think God knew that Moses would ask for another person to be sent. Because look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well, and he's already on his way to meet you. He didn't say it. You know, if, you're, if you say, yes, I'm going to call him, he's already on his way. I have already sent him to start coming to you because I knew that you would call me to send someone else, but you're still going to be a part of it. I think God sent Aaron to go to Moses before Moses even encountered the burning bush. Because God knew that Moses would have concerns. God knew that Moses would have to be convinced. God knew that Moses would come up with excuses. And God made it so very clear to Moses. This is what I've called you to do. And so anything that that Moses brought back to God, you notice God always brought it right back to Moses. This is how I'm going to take care of you. I'm not going to give you the details. He never gives any of the details about it. But he says, this is how I'm going to take care of you. This is what you're going to do. So when you are called, you can have peace in the fact that God has already planned for your excuses. He's already planned for all of your mistakes. He's already planned for all of your shortcomings. He's already planned for you to maybe tell him no a few times. And guess what? He will always provide a way. He knows what is coming. He knows the perfect answer. He might not give you all the details, but he'll give you your next step. He'll say, if you, if you just know this, this is where you're going to be. Here's your next step say yes. And after you say yes, this is your next step. And as you're walking, right, you don't know the entire path through the valley and through the mountains. He's the guide, right? If you've ever been on any type of tour guide, you don't know where you're going. You're just trusting the person that's leading you through it, that they know where they're going. This is God. This is Christ. He knows where you're going. He knows the way that's unique, maybe even to you for your calling. And, and he's saying, just follow me. Don't be distracted. Don't go on all these other paths because they're going to lead to destruction, but I will lead you to where you're meant to be. You just got to follow and we'll take it step by step. The book of Romans will say, God works all things together for the good of those called according to his purpose meaning that there's going to be some bad things that happen to us on this valley, on this walk with God, right? We'll, we'll go up the mountaintops. It'll be like a roller coaster ride as we're following Christ. And there's going to be some good times. There's going to be some bad things that happen. But God is saying all of those things are going to be worth it in the end. You just have to trust me in the lows. You have to trust me in the highs. You have to trust me through it all. 
And as we continue throughout this series, know that you are called by God. You do have a purpose, and he wants you to walk through it faithfully, but it's up to you to actually walk. We, I can tell you all day long, it's worth it to walk, but if you don't take a step, you won't go anywhere. I can't make you walk. You have to have that inside you. You have to take those steps. Now, as I, as I close, uh, I remember reading Moses and this story, learning about it in Sunday school, and thinking, man, if God could just come to me face to face and tell me, hey, this is what I'm calling you to do. This is where you're going to go. I'm not going to give you the details, but you just need to follow me. This is what you're called to do. That'd be awesome. Have you ever thought that for yourself? Like you started walking through a season and you're like, man, I wish God would just give me a step-by-step plan so that I know where I'm going. I can tell you from experience, you still wouldn't believe him. Some of you, you know how I was called to ministry. I've shared it here before, uh, at least once a year, I think. And that means that some of you who are newer, you've not heard my calling story, how I was called into the ministry. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this with you for, as we close out. It was Good Friday uh, in 2012. I was 13 years old. And uh, if you're not familiar with Good Friday services, um, back when I was called, it was more popular because there was more preachers. And that's a sad thing. There's not a lot of pastors who are ex actually accepting their call. But there was a lot more pastors at the time, even just from 10 years ago, I guess now. 11. Almost. It doesn't matter. Anyways, 2012. Seven pastors would be invited to come to a church. And they would be given roughly, roughly seven to speak on the last seven things that Jesus said before he died on the cross. And my dad was invited to one of these services. He was in them all the time. We, we always, we were constantly going to them or we would have them at our church and he would invite pastors to come. But he was invited to this one. I don't remember where it was. I don't remember the church's name. But if I ever found it, I could tell you exactly where I was sitting. Because on this Good Friday service, we walked in and... The worship was great. Everything was great. The atmosphere was, was amazing for this small country church. And I was sitting in the pew, and, and Dad was sitting with us, and he gets up to start speaking. And I'll demonstrate this because the stage wasn't that high either. The moment that my dad took his first step onto the stage, I blacked out. I couldn't see anything. I couldn't hear anything. It kind of felt like I was asleep because I was still peaceful. I wasn't panicking. But I couldn't see. I couldn't hear. And slowly faded in lights that showed a guy, a man on stage. And, and I couldn't hear anything that was being said, but I just I knew that he was preaching. And as I was watching him preach, I, I was leaning in. And I heard this still small voice that, that sounded like my own that said, that's you. That's you. And right after those words came into my mind, my vision came back. I, I could start to hear again. And when I looked up, 
my dad took his step off the stage because he had just finished preaching. And I remember, I still feel it, that emotion that I had in that moment. Oh, man, I, I think I was just called to be a pastor. I think I was called to preach the gospel. And man, that service was over and I couldn't get out of there quick enough to go into the car by myself. I, I started crying. I, my dad came in. I said, I think I was just called into ministry. I think I was just called to be a pastor. I'm 13 years old. I'm like, no church is ever going to want a 13-year-old. Like, I'm not stupid. I, I knew that if there was a church that wanted a 13-year-old, it was already dead. They didn't need me. <laughs> so I was like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. A few days would pass and the emotions would fade away. And I would love to tell you that through that experience, I was involved in FCA. Through that experience, I started Bible studies with my friends. I started preaching and, and talking to other kids, sharing the gospel with others, but I didn't. That wasn't my story. That's not what I chose. I chose to run away from God. Now, since I was a pastor's kid, I always kind of layered it with, with this irony of, well, you know, I'm just trying to see if God really called me. I knew he called me. I knew it. There was no denying it. He almost literally had me face to face. Said, you're gonna be a pastor. But I convinced myself that it was just a dream. It was just a little daydream. I fell asleep during another one of dad's sermons. I chalked it up as that wasn't real. That was just something that, that came to my mind. And I, I'm not really called to be a pastor. And I gave all of the excuses and I ran away from God. And during those years in between me being first called and me accepting my call back into ministry and actually starting to take steps towards that, I didn't hear from God because I wasn't listening to God. It was probably the, the most unholy that I'd ever been in my life. Now, I couldn't run too far away from the church because my dad was the pastor. So, like, I still had to go to church, but I didn't have to listen. And I found out that I, I could sit in church for an entire hour, hour and a half, and not listen to a single lyric from a song, not listen to a single word from my dad preaching. But as long as I remembered some phrases, I could make it seem like I listened. But I never did. And I still remember when God gave me a second chance by his grace. I was at school. I closed my locker. And right when I heard the slam, I had that vision pop right back into my mind. Now, I didn't black out. I just remembered me sitting in that pew. And that's when I was like, okay, you're giving me a second chance. We're going to walk with this. And I started taking those steps. But if I would have never had that vision, if I would have never had that dramatic type of calling, I would still be here. Because the reality is it was made so obvious before I was even called in that way. I had so many people in my life telling me, I think you would make a great pastor. I think you would be a great preacher one day. Now, I know some of them were probably just saying that because my dad was a pastor, but there's some that were cornerstones of the church that were speaking that to me. And I'm like, that's different. 
because I know that they don't want me to go, they don't want me to be a pastor. And, and it's not that they don't want me to, to walk in that, but they know how hard it is. And since they know how hard it is, they don't want that for me because they love me, but they also love me enough to tell me that they think I would make a great pastor. But there is this one in particular, um, I, I was talking to mom about it and she, she thinks she knows who it was. But she's since passed away now. She's a cornerstone of one of the churches that we were at. And she walked up to me just one time after service. And, you know, she shook my hand. And I was like, hey, you know, it's good to see you. And she said, you're going to make a great pastor one day. That was the first time in my entire life that someone said, you're going to. Not, I think. Not, you know, have you ever thought about being a pastor? It was, you're going to. And after I, I got that vision from God and started reaffirming my call a couple years later, Dad told me the same exact thing. You're going to make a great pastor one day. And I remembered all the way back to that moment when I was probably like seven years old. You see, God uses us to reveal the call in other people's lives. So if you're not listening, no one's gonna know that they're called. Very few are gonna know that they're called. And I think this is part of the reason why we don't see a lot of pastors today is because we've stopped listening to God because we're so busy. We've stopped listening to God because we know how hard ministry is and we don't want them to experience that because we love them that we don't, we don't want them to walk through those things, so we, we take it away. And we, don't, we know that there's people that are called to be pastors. We know that they're called to be missionaries, not only overseas, but in the States as well. But we don't really talk about the call. We talk a lot about purpose. We talk about how you have a purpose, you have a plan, but we never talk about the calling. And I think that's hurt this next generation. And so I would just ask you, and I do have a story from youth conference too, to back this up. I would just ask you to listen to who God is telling you is going to be a pastor. Listen to who God is telling you, not, not who has great potential to be a pastor, but who's going to be a pastor. Help him help you identify those things so that you can be a good messenger for him. I'll tell you this story and then I'll actually close. We were at youth conference. I wasn't going to share this, but I didn't know it was going to happen. We were at youth conference, and um, a lot of different things God was orchestrating. Um, they, had, they actually invited me to come up and do, like, welcomes and closing and uh, dismiss and everything. And um, I asked if I could have some freedom in it because um, I, I would go there, and I would, I would do the thing and then leave. But I'm like, I want to contribute more. And I felt that God was calling me to tell them that there was going to be a pastor that was going to be called at the conference. Now, they might not accept it. They might not even know it until later. But he's calling someone to be a pastor specifically at that conference. And um, I went up there the first day. I had no idea. I, I argued with God a lot because I'm like, I don't want to look ridiculous up there, like thinking that someone's going to be a pastor and they're not. But I walked up there, and I, I, I told them we had a moment, and I said... Um, you know, if you've heard the words, that's you, anytime throughout this week, 
that's you. You're, you're called to be a pastor, and I believe that God truly spoke to someone. Um, but then I actually got to say it live out a little bit. No one accepted their call into ministry during that conference. But I had a parent come up to me who was helping volunteer throughout the week. And she said that first night that you went up there and you said that someone's called to be a ministry, I instantly thought of my son. She said, everyone talks about how he has great potential, how he has a purpose, how he has a great calling on his life. But she said, I really don't want that for him. I don't want him to be a pastor because I know how difficult it is to be a pastor and I don't want that for him. I don't want him to have a hard life. So I, I, I haven't told him that this is what I think, but there's other people here at this church who have told him that. And she said, then you went up the second day and we kept this as a theme, every opening, every ending, we were gonna bring up that someone was being called and, and I'd read the book of Jeremiah and I, I opened it up, first chapter, read through it, saw that Jeremiah said that he was too young to be a prophet. I looked it up, and he's a teenager at this point. In Jeremiah chapter 1, he was around a teenager. And I, I spoke on that that, that morning. I, I just quickly said, you know, I, I looked in Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a teenager. Who's to say that the teenagers in here can't be called for great things? That parent walked up to me said, my son's name's Jeremiah. And she said, I really don't want it for him. What do I do? I said, well, he's probably waiting for you to tell him. That could be you. You could be the parent. You could be a grandparent. You, you could simply see a kid and know the calling on their life. But you have to, you have to tell them. I, I'm very hopeful for this next generation that's coming up, but if we don't play our part in speaking life into them, they will be just like my generation who will deny the call, who will walk away to where I'm an anomaly that I'm up here at 24 years old preaching. I don't want that for this next generation. And it starts with us.